listening in on LEAP. Today's episode continues the conversation about sensory integration with a focus on the visual system. We're talking with our Director of Occupational Therapy, Micaiah Prendergast-Johnson. So we've talked a little bit about sensory. Yes. In a general sense. In that podcast, it was such a broad stroke on what the sensory system was. Right. Upon reflecting on it, we're going to kind of drill down on different specifics specifics of yes. it. So do you want to go into a little bit about what your thoughts are for today? Yes. Because I don't want to be scattered like last time. <laughs> uh, I think that when you look at any of the individual sensory categories, they're all going to bleed one into the other. And um, the visual system is going to affect the vestibular system while the proprioceptive or body awareness is going to affect the tactile experience. So I thought we could start talking about the visual system because it's one of my favorites. And I think that a sense that is simultaneously happening through almost every sensory experience that you're going to have because we're seeing what we're doing. We are locating the sound with our eyes when we're listening to things. We are um, reflecting on pictures in our head of what different language and words mean because there's a visual association of so many different words that we're hearing. So, Mm -hmm. so many different pieces of the puzzle all relate back to our eyes and Mm -hmm. what we're seeing. But there's a bit of a hidden piece around the visual system, which is quite a puzzle. And it's been a fun thing clinically for me to analyze um, as I'm working with different kids because the sight and our visual system are worlds apart. Our sight, healthy eyesight, is seeing and our eyes mechanically uh, recording the right visual picture that's in front of us. The visual system is making sense of what we're seeing, actually uh, recording what we're seeing through sight and then making sense with how that affects all the different pieces of our body and our environment and then what we do with what we're seeing. Got it. So it's not just writing the language down it's then understanding the language yes absolutely got it yeah so it's it if it's not working it's gonna affect a zillion different things in a different way it's not like well this is not working so then all these things don't work all those systems in our body still work but the visual system is not giving an accurate support if you will Mm -hmm. to all the systems so like for our movement system which is a huge piece especially of the sensory work that we do at leap because we're always using suspension we're we're creating moments of play that involves our body and movement in space but if what we're seeing doesn't make sense with what our body is feeling in space and then how we respond to it so how far away a swing is uh from the person you probably hear a lot at leap like you're in the swing zone so and so because a lot of kids aren't recognizing that when a swing is in suspension going three feet in one direction it's going to flip the other way and go three feet in the next direction within you know two seconds Mm -hmm. and that child sees a swing to the right and is not recording that it's going to be swinging to the left because of the way that 
uh, what we're seeing makes sense with how our body is interacting with our world. So what we're seeing has a huge part with how we move, yeah. how we avoid danger, how we um, go towards the area that is the play that's happening amongst us or stay away from it, that yeah. sort of thing. I didn't, re- I like, I guess I, that that's fascinating to me that that would be that the visual system is part of I mean it makes I mean how we interact with the world it makes so much that it's so obvious at the same time of being like oh it's such a key factor that it's just so it seems overlooked totally to like to like the to the normal (laughs) like non-therapeutic brain to be like okay this is such a key factor that we need to make sure that it's included in in everything that we're working with it's literally everything um and but the one that really fascinates me is how it interacts with the tactile system. Like all of it I think is really fascinating. Like I think we could dive into a zillion different things. And like I said, it's going to look different in every single one. Like the way that visual system interacts with movement looks different than how the visual system interacts with the tactile system, which is a huge factor in picky eating. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's a really big part of the therapeutic puzzle when we're looking at our picky eaters. Is it a tactile sensitivity or a visual sensitivity? Is that child avoiding sweet potatoes because they look mushy or because tactilely it feels averse inside their mouth? Has the child ever even put a sweet potato in their mouth before? Maybe not, but they don't like sweet potatoes. But that's not because tactically they've tasted sweet potatoes and they know, yuck, 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 that feels terrible inside my mouth. It's because they're seeing something mushy. It's reminding them of something else or they're making some visual assumption in their head and they're saying, absolutely not, I hate sweet potatoes. But it's because of a visual sensitivity and not a tactile sensitivity. Got it. And you work with picky eating in such different ways, whether it's tactile because we're going to be really pushing into how to decrease sensitivities amongst our skin and amongst the different pressure in our mouth that sort of thing but a visual sensitivity is just going to look different it's going to be more of a trial and error and experiential piece Mm -hmm. versus tactile it's just a different intervention Mm -hmm. but picky eating Sometimes it's just a picky eater. And of course, it's a picky eater. That must mean if it's a sensory kid who's a picky eater, he's just tactilely averse. Mm -hmm. But it's not a clear answer like that. And that's because of how our eyes have such power and such control over um, anxiety, over the emotional piece of the puzzle as well. Right. So it definitely makes sense why some kids may avoid like mashed sweet potatoes versus like roasted cubes and they have they have no idea what they're actually eating it's the same food it's just in different form so that could still be a tactile thing yes but that also could be a visual of i don't want to try this if it looks one way 100 percent. or it could be that my kid likes trader joe's chicken nuggets but not jewel chicken nuggets because trader joe chicken chicken nuggets look this way and even though chicken nuggets are breaded the same way and they taste the same way and there's still the processed chicken that all the chicken nuggets have trader joe's is round and jewel is strips or rectangle and it's going to be a hard no because of the visual sensitivity towards how the different foods look different fascinating that makes so much sense right but it's it's tricky and anxiety plays a really big part of 
you know, especially the visual tactile connection. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all of the different pieces that we can talk through of the how visual affects these different senses, anxiety is going to have a piece of the puzzle because it just means that the world's confusing. So we can probably go into anxiety around all of them, but um, especially with picky eating, like it's just you can't skip the anxiety of what Trader Joe's chicken nuggets versus Jewel chicken nuggets is spiking inside you just because of what you're seeing emotionally. So also, so that's uh, tactile, mm-hmm. how we interact when we're moving. Like sound I, I mentioned quickly, we make sense of what we're hearing a lot when we locate it, when mm-hmm. we visually put it together. Uh, so the fact of like auditory processing is just going to be process so much smoother so much more efficiently when you're connecting a visual piece of the puzzle you don't have to have as many neuronal jumps happen in your head of oh i hear some blaring loud sound hmm i've heard that before through a red fire truck i wonder if it's a fire truck oh i look out the window and it's a fire truck that can all happen in your mind just simultaneously as you're hearing the siren outside of the street because you know that's a fire truck but sometimes if it's a um if you are a child or have an auditory sensitivity along with a visual sensitivity, you might need to have those two things combined so it is an efficient, smooth process because that neuronal jump that people are happening, people are experiencing all the time may not just be efficiently happening for some of these sensory kids. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I think that's a relatable th- thought process, though, because it's for some kids, it may be an example of like a fire truck where they need to see what's happening with that. Mm -hmm. But for any human, when it's a sound in your home of like, what is that noise? Mm -hmm. Um, And you like look around your house to find out, oh, it's a dripping sink or it's a faucet or it's the dishwasher making, like you have, like you spend time trying to put your eyes on whatever that noise is. Even if it's something that's somewhat familiar or a dripping sink or whatever that is, and you're like, okay, I know this is what it is. You still put eyes on it just so you can totally have that connection. Yeah, you're using those two senses simultaneously to make sense of your world. Mm -hmm. But it's not sight. It's the visual understanding of what that sound means. Mm -hmm. So it's a deeper understanding of what your eyes are taking in. Same thing, like we see it a lot in improv of uh, decoding sarcasm. Mm-hmm. You know, like you are hearing this kind of aggressive, blunt, undertoned voice, but you don't have a picture of a guy kind of smirking as he's saying it. You might just hear that through your auditory sense and be like, why am I with such an angry friend? Mm-hmm. Or you see the the friend who's saying this to you and you can see there's a teasing, smirky smile saying that too and like a brush off your shoulder sort of moment and then you get it oh, you're teasing me. I get it. This is funny. This is us having our friendly banter back and forth. But we're using that visual decoding system to take in that sarcastic kind of aggressive tone and understand what that means. For some sensory kids, that's not a natural factor. So that's why in improv, we're working so much on that nonverbal processing Mm -hmm. and what those small, subtle um, smirky smiles mean because it's going to help that efficient process of sound and vision working together as a unit. Mm-hmm. When Micaiah says improv, there is a oh, yeah. Leap Forward has a um, 
KidProv program for it's a social group run by um, Micaiah, who's an occupational therapist, which we mentioned earlier, and um, Hannah Newman, who's our director of mental health as well, so oh. social worker. Um, and so we have speech and language, mental health, and OT all in the classroom with like 13 kiddos now mm-hmm. yeah. in that improv program. But a lot of times when I'm asking the comedians, the non-therapeutic side, to bring in these games of non-verbal space, essentially I'm asking you to be tagging in your Mm -hmm. visual and auditory system together to help these kids simultaneously process these two senses at the same time, which is just not always an efficient process for some of our sensory guys. Right. Um. I mean, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. We can go, I mean, I'm a little bit ill-equipped to talk about this as well as someone in the mental health profession um, could talk about this, but it also is a big piece of the attachment puzzle. I mean, an infant a few days into life is favoring his or her mom's face over any other visual system that or visual picture that you could take in like in the first days of life the babies are using their visual system to make sense of this is what feels good this is what is secure this is what is safe Mm -hmm. so there's a big piece of the attachment puzzle Uh, in the visual system of being able to attach to what is safe Mm -hmm. um, through our eyes. Mm -hmm. And then um, that same voice that you've heard in utero for the past nine months, now you're beginning to attach something that already feels so good because you know that voice. You're attaching it now to that face that already feels good um, because of the closeness that you're feeling through these first, you know, these first few moments of figuring out being outside of the womb. So uh, your visual system plays a big piece of attachment and mm-hmm. what that means to attach um, and who to attach to. Wow. And um, so, you know, that's huge. Like I said, anxiety is, is roped into all of this because so much of your world may feel unsafe mm-hmm. because you don't feel secure with these other pieces that aren't making sense you know that you were just walking through this this uh straight line of nothing else is happening around me and then bonk i get hit with a swing but that's because i didn't process that a swing was two feet away from me so now my world is dangerous Mm -hmm. now my world is confusing now my world is unpredictable because these things just aren't making sense because what i'm recording through sight is not what actually is happening in my 3d active world that makes that makes sense and maybe one more bullet point that we could say that your visual system is a big piece of, uh, and it's why my intake paper looks the way it does, is your visual system plays a giant piece in just overall development, period. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that crawling and rolling takes place a lot of times is not because there's this innate inertia to just go, which there is, but that inertia usually is to go to something that looks exciting Mm -hmm. so you're you're rolling or you're you're rolling towards the that mom that you see you're uh crawling towards that rattle that sounds hilarious like Mm -hmm. you're going after things and so exploration and development is a huge piece of the puzzle it's what kind of moves milestone to milestone but a lot of times you're you're exploring to get to something Mm -hmm. but if your visual system is kind of a little Bonk. bit bonkers mm-hmm. or doesn't make sense or is unpredictable and confusing then why explore right why go into that scary 
unknown territory to reach that rattle because that's just that's that's too scary that's not that doesn't feel good that doesn't feel safe Mm -hmm. so when exploring halts then development halts and then we're not reaching the milestones at the rate that we want to because of you know the decrease in what feels good right so that's that's a big piece of the puzzle too visual system it's it's really complex it's very complex and it has a a lot of carries a lot of weight in so many different areas Mm -hmm. it always it amazes me when we have like our little guys come with glasses and you see how like thick the glasses are Mm -hmm. after like they haven't had glasses this whole time and you're like what have you been seeing in your little world right um and then you how much has that affected your whole system um by like our friend who talking about her first time getting glasses when she was like in first grade Mm -hmm. and she remembers it or maybe she was in kindergarten but she was little and she remembers Alyssa Alyssa yeah um she remembers so distinctly leaves moving leaves yeah seeing leaves she was like what are those yeah um and her mom being like those are leaves and then her mom took her out in the backyard she like when she tells the story her mom took her out in the backyard and she was like this is the real life this is what the world looks like because she had coke bottle glasses right and sorry that was not a hippo Compli- that was HIPAA compliant. This is our friend. Not this a is a friend, not a child that we work <laughs> but with. She recalls that so vividly of how important that was to her childhood as a 32 year old now. Yeah. Of when she first saw leaves. Right. And how old she was when she first saw leaves and how confusing her world must have been <laughs> prior to leaves. Yeah. Which, of course, the trees were blobs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we were talking about this briefly before we started recording. How does a child like tell you that the world doesn't seem right? Because there's our visual system. We're we're not saying that trauma is impacting now you cease things funny. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something from day one that that perceptual piece of space doesn't make sense to this child. Mm -hmm. And so then then everything is kind of being recorded in a really funky way. But you don't know accuracy you don't know what it's supposed to be and how would we even expect a two-year-old who's just beginning to develop language to be like things are shaky or (laughs) things are scary or i don't like going over there because i get confused like that's that is language that we would expect an eight-year-old to be giving us right yet we're asking these two and three-year-olds to be going through childhood and childhood i mean what are uh, moms and dads doing to their 12 month old who just starts walking throwing balls at them catch let's start learning how to throw a ball let's start i mean we were doing that to our toddler Mm -hmm. at 10 months old throwing a ball towards him because we were like we got to get this skill going (laughs) but but what if throwing a ball was the scariest thing ever because you have no perception of space right and that's just a parent being a parent having a wonderful time there with their little toddler but uh, actually it could be kind of um a scary thing so it not to say like not to just install fear in parents but to just be um looking at this hidden sense mm-hmm. and be watching for how does your child explore and interact with their world and if you are seeing a lack of exploration mm-hmm. take that to a professional um because and this is a hard time with these podcasts that also i was mentioning to ashley like 
it's easy to talk through these deficit challenges that might sound scary to parents. It's hard to talk through intervention because intervention is going to be such a individualized child to child experience. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to be something that I can blanket just say, when you have this visual problem, do this and everything is fixed. It's going to be a personal experience with that child, with mm-hmm. the steps that that child needs to take. And, and with and, that family. And with that and... family, all of those things. There's mm-hmm. not a blanket answer that we can say. Mm-hmm. Um which is probably scary if there's a parent listening to this and being like, oh my God, that's my kid. Mm-hmm. But um, things that you can be looking for is um, repetitive play, mm-hmm. um, non-exploration, you know, using the same toy over and over and over that looks more cause and effect and not expanding play because what you want to see is is a kid pick up an object depending on where they are within age and overall developmental readiness, but you want to see uh, more than just banging an object, you know, on something. You want to see um, using an uh, object that maybe looks like a banana, taking a bite of the banana, but also using that banana as a cell phone. Like all kinds of different, you want to see mm-hmm. different types of play with these objects. You want to see um, not just familiar activities, but um, moving above and beyond repetition, above beyond cause and effect. That would be the biggest thing. Um, sometimes uh, parents will say, you know, my child likes to line things up. That that sometimes would put a red flag in my head because there is just kind of a visual organization that mm-hmm. the child might be looking for. And maybe that means because when the child is looking out into the world, it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. It's not feeling safe. And so if I'm just lining up my cars in a row, then this is going to just feel safe to me. It's going to feel good. It's a visual anchor that I can be using mm-hmm. to say this is, this is, um, this just is not overwhelming. So it's a, it's a really good strategy. Like it's, it's something that when parents say, oh goodness, this is what my kid's play looks like. I'm quick to tell them like, that's a, actually a really smart strategy. Like your kid is using something to co-regulate, to mm-hmm. self-regulate. It's not what we want to see. We want to build out of this. It's going to be a marker of progress as we see that decrease and decrease and decrease. But your child is using play and objects as a way to feel good in this world. Mm-hmm. And we need to be regulated. We we need to be calm and organized so we can attend to our parents, so we can engage, so we can have those beautiful moments that I'm sure these parents are having, even though the kid just lined up their trains. Um, mm-hmm. They're doing those different items. So then the next moment, the next play experience they have is this beautiful back and forth reciprocity between mom and dad. So yes, it is a red flag. Yes, it isn't what I want to see. Yes, it will be a space that the professional that the child is working with kind of starts building and watching that decrease. Mm -hmm. But it's a way that the child is making sense of his world. The lining up toys. I think a lot of people have have read that on on the, is this something that you're seeing? Is this something that you're seeing? Um, But I'd never heard it be explained to me as that's the reasoning behind why a child might be doing that. Mm -hmm. So this is, that was super interesting and to hear it as a strategy as a child is doing that to make sense of their world that makes complete sense Mm -hmm. yeah it's you know these kids are just so smart and Mm -hmm. and they're quick to figure out this is how I feel good that's like a tipping off point and we could go in so many different directions from that when I'm talking about lining up toys what that is taking away is space so sight is going to be what we're recording in front of us that visual spatial understanding is always including space Mm -hmm. and so that is going to be one way of 
a quick intervention mark and a quick way that parents can quickly be implementing intervention in their own way through their own play at home will be creating moments that space is a part of the equation. So that uh, so that means that you're having the child up and upright and looking out into the world and you're uh, encouraging exploration amongst space. So there might be, um, you know, when you guys have a really good interaction as you're playing trains and it's a beautiful back and forth moment with parent and child, but you know that sometimes the play can turn into repetition and and uh, more familiar based play, I might have mom just inching a little bit farther away, which means that the child who's playing is going to have to have more space involved because they don't want this moment to end between mom and the child. Mm-hmm. And so then space becomes a part of the equation naturally because there's a little bit of space happening. And so then there might be some reaching towards a toy or, or that train just starts going on a farther path away. And just those moments are going to be adding more ways that you're creating sight moving into vision. So because vision is going to always include that realm of space. So you want to, of course, have those moments of connection. I'm not saying just create space between how close you are from your kid to you. Mm-hmm. But if it's a moment of play that's working and you know that you as, a, as yourself is a big tool right mm-hmm. now, then use yourself as a tool and that tool is going to get a, just a touch farther away and your child has to move through space to get to that tool that he really wants to be a part of. And when you see your child not reaching to you and 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 not using you as a tool and that, that that moment ends, then you're too far away. Go back to where that play was working. Stay in that space where you see the reciprocity going back and forth. But be aware of how your body is a tool. Your body is a part of the therapeutic intervention of play because of um, the rest reciprocity nature of what's happening and how long that play is being engaged between parent and child oh wow does that make sense yeah that makes sense so it's a good way to just kind of be adding space um and something that um as ot like it's always something that i'm analyzing of how far can i go to uh, make the child know that i'm still a big part of what's happening and a big part of um, the space that the child is existing in, mm-hmm. but also making him work for it or her work for it. But when that when that moment ends, then that's a big tell to me that I'm too far away, that I've I've given too much space, that's allowed um, the visual system to not be working at the highest capacity that maybe it is. Got it. And that it's capacity, like the tipping point. Where yeah. where where is that tipping point? Right, and that capacity might change here and there. Um, depending on how many demands has been placed on the day. Like maybe on a Saturday morning, you're going to have a a much more uh, ample opportunity to kind of play around with this concept versus three o'clock after school. Yeah. Where you just need to be snuggled up on the couch with your little guy and not thinking about this idea of how can I be building my child's visual system. Okay. Because it is work. Smart. Yeah. It's a, that's a, it's a lot on the little guy Mm -hmm. or girl little human (laughs) tiny human tiny human do you have any recommended books or definitely um, i do have one that um was my visual system bible serena weeder wrote a book a few years back visual spatial portals to thinking feeling and movement and it's fascinating because 
it is all about and it's a giant book this book's probably 500 pages it's giant and it's all about the visual system development the hierarchy of of the visual piece not sight but the visual development Mm -hmm. embedded into uh the dir philosophy and she is one of the hallmarks of just the dir world Mm -hmm. and she uses that information so it really plays in to that social emotional attachment anxiety of what it means to have your visual system be a challenge area in regards to relationships and experiencing the world. So it's fascinating. The first half is definitely read very textbooky. I was going to say, is it a parent-friendly read or is it more of a professional I would say the first half reading? is very textbooky. The second half is all activities. Great. So the second half is, and you probably have to read some of the textbook to know what section you have to, you should be using the activities for, but the activities are definitely parent-friendly and definitely uh, activities you could be using. I mean, they're probably, some of them are, could take 30 seconds and other ones would be, you know, probably the average time that you're spending on these activities is under five minutes. And it could be a book that you could reference and ask questions with your prof- whoever whatever professional Absolutely. you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. Um if that if they're if it gets a little weedy with as far as you're in the weeds with some of the textbook side. Yeah, totally. I've been I have uh just copied different activities too. So if you have a professional on your team that it's in the DIR floor time world, he or she probably has this book. Mm-hmm. And so you can be asking them for just copies of um, the different activities that they are using with their kid mm-hmm. because most likely they're using this as a resource because it is a Hallmark book. It's great. And we'll I'll put the link up um, on the podcast as well. I think that about wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us in our conversation about sensory integration and the visual system. Leap Forward is a pediatric developmental clinic and therapeutic preschool and transitional kindergarten operating in Chicago with experts in occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, social work, developmental therapy, and early intervention. To speak with the professionals you heard today or talk to someone at Leap about your child, you can find us at leapforward.com. That's L-E-E-P forward.com.